0: They say Nostradamus predicted September 11's destruction of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. The internet, I don't know if you've seen it, the internet has been hot with his purported quatrain prediction. I don't know exactly how the words go, but something like uh, in the city of York, two. Tall Brothers Fell, or something like that. Turns out, it's all been an urban legend. Nostradamus never wrote those words. He made no such prediction. And besides, he never knew the future anyway. They say, Jesus predicted an epidemic of fear on the eve of His return. Is that an urban legend? Or is that urban living since September 11? Let's pray. Oh God, Nostradamus. He couldn't know. didn't know the future. It hasn't ruined our day. Doesn't bother our souls. But our Lord Jesus, predicting that on the eve of his return to this civilization and this planet, there would be a time of terror and fear. Oh God, in the light of our present predicament, how shall we relate to his ancient prediction? Give us His promise. That's what we want. As we worship here together in His name, Amen. Can we just talk for a moment? I want to just just, just kind of think and reflect out loud with you. H- has it occurred to you too, I mean, are, are you sensing this? Uh, in this post-September 11 world in which we now find ourselves, are you picking up on this? Fear. You know what fear is. F-E-A-R. Fear. Is this true? It, fear has become the unwanted subplot in nearly every story we are hearing these days. Or, or am, I kind of, am I just imagining this? Are you picking up on that? Fear. You know what fear is. Everybody knows what fear is. I, I would like for a few moments to read my newspapers with you in chronological order. I'm not going to read them through. But I am intrigued with how fear has inserted itself into the developing headline stories of our nation, at least. This is from a week ago, all right? Monday, USA Today. I'm going to hold it up. Maybe we can get the camera in on it. Can you see this here? Anthrax incidents create... Can you see That growing sense of anxiety. So I, I'm reading the cover story and uh, it, as anthrax contamination spread from Florida to New York and then to Nevada. By the way, this is before we found out it was in the nation's capital. Anxiety about bioterrorism edged uncontrollably close or uncomfortably rather uncomfortably close to panic. Now they're quoting Tommy Thompson, uh, the secretary of the Health and Human Services Department, quoting him, there are a lot of people in America that are afraid and understandably so because bioterrorism has never hit America before. Mm. That was Monday. All right. Now, this is Tuesday, USA Today. I don't subscribe to USA Today, but I was in a hotel last week and so that's what they handed out. Can you see the headline here? Our Nervous Nation. All right. You see that. Let me read just a line here. Since the September 11 attacks, Americans have been on a roller coaster of emotions from sheer horror to grief to anger to fear and uncertainty. Their laundry list of worries keeps growing longer as more possible anthrax cases are uncovered and experts outline other forms of possible terrorism from tainted water to smallpox. All this while the government warns the country of other unknown threats. Then they quote a professor of psychiatry in New York. I want to put his words up on the screen. Take a look. At uh, Who is this? This is Dr. Norman Sussman, clinical professor of psychiatry, New York University Medical School. He's speaking. The predominant emotion in the country right now is fear, and it is appropriate to be fearful right now. Well, I'm glad we have that permission, because now it, uh, it, we, we can go ahead and be that. It's appropriate, says this psychiatrist. Fear. All right, well, let's go to the... This is Wednesday. This is Wednesday. Last week, okay. Oh, okay, this one is a story. Cover story. Passengers turning into air police. It's a story about U.S. Air, a flight from San Francisco to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, a few days ago. The pilot gets out, comes out of the cockpit with an axe in his hand. He gets on the PA system of the plane. He says, I want to tell you three things. Number one, if anybody says there's a bomb on this plane, they're lying. There is no bomb. If anybody tells you that uh, we we have some sort of bioterrorism, don't worry. We can get down fast enough to deal with that at a nearby airport if we're in the air. If anybody decides, however, to take control of this plane, I want to tell you, grab a blanket, some pillows, and would you jump all over him? And then he said, I have this axe. By the way, he said, I can shave with this axe, and it sits right right beside me in the cockpit. Oh, I feel better about flying already. I didn't know... What's going on in this country? All right. as last week. This week, Sunday's paper. Now let's get to South Bend Tribune. Let's go home. Can you see the headline in the, in, in the paper from South Bend? Can you see this? Experts see rise in hysteria. Let me just read a line here. Public hysteria, the contagion of panic spread by rumor and false alarms, is more dangerous than the real problem. And America is on the verge of it, mental health authorities say. Now, let's put her up. Her name is Gloria Leon. Let's put her on the screen because they're quoting her. Who is Gloria Leon? She is a University of Minnesota psychology professor who specializes in the study of people in disasters. What is she saying? There is a general feeling among a lot of people of extreme fear bordering on panic. And then they quote another authority. What's his name? Jeffrey Mitchell. Let's put his words up. He is president of the nonprofit International Critical Incident Stress Foundation in Ellicott City, Maryland. What does Mr. Mitchell say when there's the possibility that terrorism can hit anywhere? It can start driving the population into a frenzy. It is no wonder, ladies and gentlemen, that the latest issue of Time Magazine, I have it in the pulpit right here with me. The latest issue, the cover story is entitled, can you see it? The Fear Factor. Let me read the subtitle. Anthrax letters, FBI warnings, bin Laden's videotapes, bombarded by threats, real and imagined. A nation on edge asks, what's next? The Fear Factor. What is next? Anybody here have a clue? I'm going to be honest with you. For the last weeks now, since September 11, quite frankly, I've been haunted with the same question. What is next? Do you know? I don't know. I would never have guessed anthrax. What is next? Yesterday's paper, a warning to vegetarians. (laughs) Thanks a lot. I was trying to follow you with that. I warning to vegetarians. It's the one food industry that's not regulated in terms of federal ex- inspection before it goes to this marketplace. What's next? I don't know. I'm sure you've been asking the question. America has been asking the question. The world is asking the question. And come to find out, the disciples of Jesus Christ themselves asked the very same question. They said, Lord, what is next? How are we going to know... When this world will end, what will it be like before you come? What's next? And I'm happy to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ did not leave that question unanswered and our Bible today has an answer for what is next. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. Luke, the third Gospel of the New Testament. The words, if you have a red-letter Bible, the words had better be in red Because these are the words of Jesus. In a time of fear and terror, it makes all the sense in the world to me to go to Christ. Let's hear what Jesus has to say. He's got good news. Okay, Luke chapter 21. I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. Let me find it here with you. Luke chapter 21. What would Christ say to those of us who are surviving these times? Intriguing, intriguing answer to the question, what's next? Let's take a look at it. Let's begin, just kind of set it up. Let's begin here in verse 7. Luke chapter, chapter 21, verse 7. They, that's His disciples. Let's put it on the screen, please. They asked Him, that would be Jesus, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? What's next? We want to know. What is next? Jesus replies, this is, now these words in verse 9 ought to be in red, when you hear of wars and insurrections. Do not be terrified for these things must take place first but the end will not follow immediately. Ladies and gentlemen, just a little reminder here. We have been in war and wars for 2,000 years since Christ spoke these words. Please don't interpret what's happening today in Afghanistan. May God bring it to an end. Do not interpret that as, well, this has got to be it. We've been, Jesus said wars are not a sign. I'm sorry, we're going to have wars but that doesn't mean I'm coming right after the war. Wars are here to stay on this planet. But he has more to say. Verse 10, Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. I don't know if anthrax fits into that. And there will be dreadful portents or wonders and great signs from heaven. Now, more about those signs from heaven. Jump down to verse 25. There will be signs in the sun. The moon and the stars. And on the earth, distress among nations, confused. Confusion will reign before I return. Confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. Verse 26. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, verse 27. Then, see? Fear, in verse 26... Then, verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, I want you to catch what Jesus says before the then. We know what the then is. It's the return of Christ. Go back to verse 26. Just that first line in 26. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. You know, they, apparently there will be the, 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 the psyche of earth before Christ returns will be this, this, this dread, this numinous, nameless dread and foreboding. It, it will be palpable, but they do not know what's coming. They just know something's coming. There's a shoe that's going to drop. Something is going to come out of the sky. Maybe it will come up from the ground. This, this nameless terror. Then, then, they'll see the sign. Of the Son of Man. I want to go back to uh, this Time magazine article. This is a cover story entitled Fear Factor. Listen to uh, the writer. This writer, is her name is Nancy Gibbs. She kind of sets it up here. By the time President Bush appeared in prime time to invite the country officially both to buck up and freak out. I thought that was a very interesting editorial uh, kind of description of uh, buck up and freak out. The war at home was... Already well underway. Hazmat. Those are hazardous materials. It's become a new, new word in our American vocabulary. Hazmat teams from coast to coast were being called out two and three times a day to decontaminate buildings because someone worried about powder in a package. Last week, I was out in Los Angeles at the Adventist Media Center, taping six more programs to Faith for Today. Monday, we began the taping about three o'clock in the afternoon. We went a little bit uh, later than usual into the evening. It's now the last chat, and it's, it's after seven. As I'm going through the maze of this media center, away from the uh, set, somebody's hurrying through and everybody out of the building. Out, 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 out. So I go out of the building and... You know, it's dark in L.A. at this time. It's 7 o'clock now, past 7. And we're all just standing around. Huge Simi Valley fire truck. Firemen in their yellow uh, outfits. And we've all come to love the firemen of this nation. They were there. What's the problem? Well, 5.15 in the afternoon, one of the secretaries in the big complex got, opened a letter from Africa. And in the letter, there was some there were some granules and, and 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 grains. And she went to her boss and said, "What should I do with this?" And he said, "Call the police." And so the police came and took the letter. And then they called the fire department, emptied the building. We had to sign papers, sign a paper saying who we were and where we were from. And finally, when they said, "Look, if you weren't if you didn't know Gloria, you weren't with her this afternoon. You weren't in that section of the building. You all can leave," we disappeared. Turns out it was just the person riding from Africa, the one of these airmail aerogram thing. It just had some crumbs on the hand and got it inside the envelope. That's all it was. <laughs> We're living people's hearts, men's and women's hearts, failing them for fear. See? I want to read another line here on this page. I thought this line was rather provocative. It's so provocative, I want to put it on the screen. Fear conscripts its own armies, takes its own prisoners. That's what fear does conscripts its own armies, and takes its own prisoners. Now, this is not me. This is, not a, this is Time Magazine speaking now. Now, I read on. Even people who appear to be calm will privately confess, I won't go to the mall anymore. I ask for a low floor at the hotel near a staircase. I throw up every morning before I get on the train. I thought I heard a crop duster in the middle of the night. The strain of these weeks, the psychiatrists say, is especially hard on people who are already on the edge. And so day by day, they begin to snap. They're snapping. And Jesus said, how does it go here? In verse 26, people will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, a nameless, a numinous terror, palpable. I don't know what it is. I just know that it's just in front of me and it's coming toward me. How does the New Living Translation render this verse? I like this. The New Living Translation for Luke twenty one twenty six The courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate they see coming upon this earth. Quick, how did our expert uh, testimony put it, our expert witnesses a moment ago? Let's put it back up on the screen. Jeffrey Mitchell, when there's the possibility that terrorism can hit anywhere, it can start driving the population into frenzy. That's what he said. Jesus said, people will faint from fear and foreboding. What's the next expert witness? Dr. Norman Sussman, psychiatrist. The predominant emotion in the country right now is fear. And it is appropriate to be fearful right now, he says. Jesus says, when people's hearts are failing them for fear, then they will see the sign. And what is her word? Dr. Gloria Leon, there is a general feeling among a lot of people of extreme fear, bordering on panic. Jesus says, people's hearts failing them for fear over what is coming on the earth. So, folks, come on. Come on, please. What's next? You say, Dwight, what is the big problem? We are in a little village. It simply will never get near to us. Well, I wish you would explain that to the Berrien Springs post office because did you see them this last week? They're all wearing rubber gloves now. Yeah. It's endemic, folks. It's everywhere. You can't take a chance now. So, what's next? Where do we go from here? How shall we respond? What shall we do? Hallelujah. Jesus does not only diagnose our phobia, He offers an antidote. An antidote to national terror and personal fear. He gives to us a threefold prescription A threefold prescription for raw faith. I wish you would jot these down. They're so simple. Just get these three, will you? A threefold prescription. Three actions you and I can take to experience raw faith in a time of real terror. Prescription number one. Jot it down. Prescription number one. Kneel down. Kneel down. How could it be any more simple than that? Let's pick it up in verse 34. Be on guard. See, Jesus is still speaking here. This is verse 34, same chapter. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life and that and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. Jesus says, hey guys, hold it, hold it. Please, let me just say a word here. As you approach the end of all things, when the epidemic of terror becomes endemic fear, as you approach the end please know it will no longer be party-on-dude time. The landscape has shifted. Be an adult. Think. Think. Get real. Get serious. It's changed. The world you started growing up in is gone. Forever. Which, of course, doesn't mean... That we have to live terrorized by this world. But it does mean that as Christians, we should no longer live mesmerized by the world and its fallen social system. Jesus says, listen, become accountable for the way you live and your lifestyle. It matters now. Oh, it matters now. In fact, John, years later, would echo the very words of his Master Jesus in this familiar passage. This is 1 John chapter 2. This is from the New Living Translation. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John writes, Stop loving. Please, please, please. Stop. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust of for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. They're from this evil world. And this world is fading away along with everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. Now, folks, look, look, this is not an appeal to become a sourpuss or a wallflower. That's not at all. But John and Jesus both are simply reminding you and me that our very lives, our very lifestyles are to reflect an allegiance to a counter-cultural kingdom. I mean, hedonism. You know what hedonism is. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure for simply the pleasure of that pursuit. That's all it is. Hedonism rings so hollow now. Ask America. It rings hollow now because it cannot slake your deepest thirst. What you need now, sister, what you need, my young brother, or not so young brother, what you need now is something with much more substance. You need to move beyond this broken landscape. You know what? Don't love the world. It's going to come, it's going to come crashing down just as the Twin Towers did in New York City. Uh, read the words again. Jesus here, Luke Twenty one thirty four. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Verse thirty six. So be alert at all times praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Write it down. Prescription number one is kneel down. Some of your translations read, watch and pray. Jesus is saying, watch and pray. Kneel down now, more than you have knelt down before. Listen, turn to God with an earnestness that is even uncharacteristic of you. I know that you've been going along with God. I know that you've had had God on the line. But now, when we move it to this new paradigm, turn on the intensity. Kneel down now more than you've knelt down in the past. Kneel down. Open up your heart to God. Cry out to Him. Long for Him. Ask for Him. I want to tell you, people in this post-91101 world, are abandoning doubt and disbelief as never before. Why? Because the foundation that I thought was secure is gone. We sang it a moment ago, how firm the foundation. They haven't found that foundation, but they're wide open now. Be as open yourself. Be as open as yourself. You know what, folks? We have a message. Those of us... say, Oh, Dwight, come on. I've known Jesus. Well, okay. All of you who know Jesus and love Jesus... Here's your message. Amos chapter four, verse twelve. Let's put it on the screen. Amos four, verse twelve. How does it read? Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. Okay, this is the community of faith. Thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. All right, you've known Jesus all your life. Hallelujah. Grew up in a Christian home. Thank you, Jesus. Now get ready to meet your God. That's all. Just get ready to meet your God. Jesus is coming. He's coming. Get ready. Should I be afraid? No, 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 no. This isn't about fear. God is a forever friend. Just start talking to God as a friend. And some of you watching on television right now say, you know something? Dwight, I've never talked to God in my life. I want to tell you, my friend, all you have to do is simply start talking. Put His name into your sentence. Start talking. Tell Him what you want. Tell Him about your insecurity and your terror. Tell Him that if He's there, you are reaching out to Him now. Would you please grant me your peace? I'm telling you, that's what it is. He's a friend, not a foe. I found a beautiful prayer and I want to share this with you. In fact, it's on the cover of your your bulletin today. I found it just this last week. Kind of a secret hero of mine. I don't talk about him a lot up front, but he's one of the great, great men of all Christian history. His name is John Wesley. Wesley was a graduate of Oxford University, by the way. No mean or small school itself. And he became a teacher. He, in fact, would teach preaching students in the midst of his preaching. And he taught his students this prayer. Do you see it on the cover of your bulletin? I put it on the cover hoping that maybe you would clip it and save it. I want to read that prayer out loud with you. To me... It's a moving, raw faith kind of prayer because this is a time of real terror. Let's go to raw faith. You could pray this prayer every day and do quite well. Now, I've changed it on the screen. I've changed the these to use. And so I'm going to read it right off the screen. Hang on to this. Clip and save your bulletin. But let's read it off the screen. I am no longer my own, but yours, O God. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. It is not a problem to me. Do whatever you want. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. That's okay. Let me be employed by You or laid aside for You, exalted for You or brought low by You. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to Your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You are mine and I am Yours. So be it. Amen. That's a beautiful prayer. You could pray that prayer every day. Just clip and save. Pray that prayer every single day and God will take control and God will hold you in the hollow of His hand and He'll give you peace. Real terror, raw faith. Prescription number one. In a time of real terror, seek raw faith. Number one, kneel down. In a time of raw terror, this is prescription number two, share raw faith. Speak out. Write down, speak out. You've written down, kneel down. Now jot down. Speak out. And Jesus is telling us that just a moment earlier in this chapter. Look at verse 13. One line, Jesus speaking. This will give you an opportunity to testify. Speak out. Share your testimony. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. This world today is more open than it has ever been in our collective lifetimes to the notion of God. Speak out. We were just in, a bunch of us, 43 of us were just in New York City three weekends ago. I I was utterly nonplussed at how willing strangers were to converse about God and to say, can I pray for you? And the stranger says, please. And he bows his head. What is this? The world has been opened up. God didn't cause the tragedy, but God is such a genius of a God, He can take the worst thing that happens in your life and transform it into an open door for His grace. That's just the way God is. The devil never wins against God. If something's falling apart in your life right now, I want to tell you the God of the universe is going to pivot on what seems like awful failure and turn it into a shining triumph for you. You've got to trust Him though. Speak out. Tell people you trust Him. They're open now. The fear factor. See? Everybody's asking, What's next? Go ahead and give a reason for the hope that is in you. I know what some of you, particularly you middle class, older ones. Very sophisticated. And you're saying to yourself, oh well, come on. I'm not going to intrude on my colleague's life. I'm not going to intrude on her privacy. Let him figure it out on his own. Oh brother, I want to ask you something. You tell me. If you were suffering from inhalation anthrax... We're all learning about that, aren't we? If you were suffering from inhalation anthrax and I live next door to you and inside my medicine cabinet I have a year's supply of Cipro, Bayer's antibiotic for anthrax, and I learned that you are dying of anthrax next door and I have a medicine cabinet full of life-saving medicine... Would it not be the height of selfishness for me to say, well, let him find it on his own. Let her find it. Somebody will help her. What is the problem with that picture? If I know you are dying, you will be able to wag your finger in my face in the judgment and say, you knew and you had Cipro and you didn't give me a single thing. Tablet, Why? And I'll mumble something about, well, well, you know, I want to honor your privacy. Honor my privacy? You just mandated my death. Come on, guys. Life-saving, life-giving. If you have discovered that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, dying to save every man, woman, and child on this planet, and you have found Him... As your Savior, give me one good reason why you would not offer Him to somebody you know who's dying without Him. You say, oh, Dwight, he's not dying. Yes, he is. He is dying. It's a slow death like anthrax. It's slow. But that man will die. That woman, that, that young adult will die eventually if he does not get Christ. And you know where Jesus is in your medicine cabinet. In your Medicine cabinet, and you don't say a word about the cipro stash you've got hidden, speak out. In a time of real terror, share raw faith, speak out. Tell them, by the way, Jesus is the answer. You know, that old Psalm 46. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Tell them why you're not afraid. I'm meeting Christians all across the nation, and we have a whole church full of them here. Not afraid. Why are you not afraid? Because my life is secure in Christ. I have no reason to fear. I still fly. I still drink water. I'm okay. I trust Christ. Yeah. Yeah. A century ago, these prescient words were written. One century ago. Take a look at this. This is something. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, all genders, all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, it is as if that quotation ought to be the byline for this cover story right here. The fear factor. What is next, please? numinous, nameless, palpable fear. Something's coming. I don't know what it is. What is next? If the world were ever set up for the good news of Jesus Christ and the peace He offers to be quickly passed from man to man and woman to woman and young adult to young adult, this is the hour, folks. In our lifetime, it has never been more... Hey, come on, I'm going to talk to you. Because some of you are saying that's hyperbole. That's just a little bit of homiletical hyperbole. It is not. How many of you went through World War II? Put your hands up. If you went through World War II, don't be ashamed. Were you alive during World War II? Come on. there got to be a few of you. God bless you. How many went through... Uh, were alive during the Korean War? Vietnam War? Uh, a Gulf War? No, it should be all of us. <laughs> Thank you. I want to make sure you get everybody in. Folks, I'll tell you what. Access your computer. Run through the memory. The nation has never, America has never, the world has never been so jittery and afraid as it is today. God didn't cause it. But it's a wide open door to speak up for God. Speak out. Speak out. Prescription. Prescription number one in a world of real Terror. Seek raw faith, that's kneel down. Prescription number two, in a world of real terror, share raw faith, that's speak out. And finally, prescription number three, in a world of raw terror, show, show raw faith. Look up, look up, kneel down, speak out, look up. Now I want to read this from the King James. James. Oh, King James. Let's put it on the screen here. Men's hearts. Of course, that would include women. Failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. By the way, that's Luke 21:26. Here comes verse 27. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. Look up. I love that. Look up. I have here, because I see in the audience, we have some Whirlpool employees here. I need to give equal time to Whirlpool. We've talked about other companies over the months and years. Now it's Whirlpool's turn. Whirlpool ran this ad in National Geographic some time ago, and I tore the ad. Can we get a camera in on it? I tore the ad out. It's a black and white picture of an eagle. Can you tell? You're looking up. An eagle's flying over your head. On the other side, it's a two-page ad, on the other side, the big headline, The Lost Art of Looking Up. Rather provocative, it occurs to me in the light of what Jesus has just said. Have you and I, come on, think with me now, have we lost the art of looking up? Have we? Do you no longer reference life, your life, by its proximity to the return of Christ? Have you quit asking the question? Now listen carefully. Have you quit asking yourself the question anymore? Will this help me or hinder me in living for my soon coming Savior? Do you ask that anymore? Does the coming of Christ set the parameters for the way you live life anymore? We have lost, have we, the art of looking up in expectancy. Now, the, the world doesn't know where to look. The world says, where where, where, where am I supposed to look? Am I, am I supposed to look in? Am I supposed to look down? Am I supposed to look up? Am I supposed to look out? Well, the world right now is looking out and it does not know what it's looking out for. What's next? Wouldn't it be sad if, Christian, if Christians and the, the Christian Adventist community were just as confused as the world? Well, what, where should we be looking now? What should we be doing? It reminds me of Alexander Miller who tells of a... He tells of a crate that was seen on a railway platform in India. Big old shipping crate. And affixed to the crate was a label. The label read this way. This case should be carried bottom upward. Well, that was bad enough, but it was further marked. The top is labeled bottom to avoid confusion. (laughs) Confusion. Which way is up? Which way is up? Which is the bottom? Which is the top? Ladies and gentlemen, society does not know which way is up. And so Jesus rings out. He says, Kneel down. Speak out. Look up. By your looking up... Did you used to do that as a kid? With your buddies, you'd stand at a bus stop. I used to, used to travel the train day after day in Tokyo, Japan. And we did that so many times. You know, a bunch of little American kids. We say, Okay, you look and then I'll look. And let's see. And we, So, he would do it. Doug would do it. And then Dave would do it. And then I'd go up like this. And before... Along the whole platform of Japanese businessmen looking up, like, what? What is this? What is this? It's contagious when people look up. Oh, well, what is it? Jesus says, look up. The world will look up if you look up. Kneel down. Speak out. Look up. In fact, the, the Greek word for look up carries with it the connotation of with cheer. With cheer. Joy of joy. Jesus is coming. Look up. See? Look up. Ah, my friends. Jesus had it right. Verse 28. Now, when you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is coming. Redemption means Redeemer. Redeemer means Calvary. Calvary means the one who stretched out His hands to die so that no man on earth in Afghanistan or America, no woman on earth, no child on earth would ever have the horrible, horrible reality of life forever ending. Jesus died so that believing in Him, we might not perish, but have everlasting life. His threefold prescription in a world of raw terror, threefold prescription for raw faith. What is it? Number one, seek raw faith. Kneel down. Number two, Share raw faith. Speak out. And finally, number three, show raw faith and look up with new confidence and courage. Jesus is coming. We must become like Robert Louis Stevenson, the great English writer who was bedridden with a mortal disease that would take his life at the age of 44. One day, his wife stepped into his bedroom as he lay coughing up his lifeblood. I suppose, she murmured, you'll tell me it's a glorious day. <laughs> yes, he replied. Strange, isn't it, that I was just going to say that? And then, looking at the sunlight streaming through his window, Stevenson continued, I refuse to let a row of medicine bottles be the circumference of my horizon. I refuse. To let a row of medicine bottles be the circumference of my horizon. So what's your horizon? Focused on the headlines of fear and terror? I'll tell you what. What you behold, you become. Jesus was right. You've lost the art of kneeling down, speaking out, and looking up. Look up, He said. Look up above those impotent medicine bottles of fear and terror. Look up to the sunlight of the blessed hope. Look up. Look up. It is time to recover that lost art. In a new age of real terror, God is calling for a people of raw faith. In a nation on the edge of panic, God longs for a people on the side of hope. You're it. And I'm it. Look up. Look up. And now to Him who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood and made us to be a kingdom serving His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. So it is to be. Amen.